ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. We are always driving, doing laundry, doing something in the kitchen. That means we listen to a lot of our books instead of reading them. And right now, I am listening to Jordan Peterson, who wrote 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. This is uh, it's a Canadian author, and I am loving this. I think, actually, Jenny, we're going to do a, a podcast on one of the rules. And you don't know that yet, but we're going to take some of this work and make it into a podcast. But I love it. He combines like anthropology. He is a psychologist, so he's got clinical background to reference. He uses biblical stories, but he's sort of distilled all his work into 12 lessons, and they are super valuable and like nothing I've ever read before. Excellent. Well, I look forward to learning more. I am just starting to listen to a new book that I had pre-ordered, and I'm so happy it's now in my Audible account, and it's 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now Yes, by Jared Lanier. So he has a thesis that Essentially, using social media makes us sadder, angrier, and more isolated. And in fact, it's a toxic experience for human beings. I've heard people who had the preview versions, the galleys of this book, just speak so highly of it. So I'm about to dive in. And it's a short listen. So we will keep you posted. But I'm sure it's something that I'm going to love because I'm also highly critical of social media. Yeah, I have that one too. I haven't listened to it yet, but plan to shortly. Okay, on to the episode. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 83, Wolfpack. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery. Hey, Sandy. Isn't that the best name ever, Wolfpack? Yeah. Kind of digging it. I'm digging it. We kind of bought some domains with Wolfpack in them (laughs) the other day, didn't we? (laughs) For a future future date in which we will find a a use for that, those domain names. We have a we have a domain name addiction problem. We should have an entire episode on domain names, but that's that's a story for another day. Yeah, so we're going to talk this this episode was inspired by two things. It was inspired by the book Women Who Run With Wolves and also the graduation speech that Abby Wambach gave at Barnard University this year. Barnard College. I think it's Barnard College. And I can't help you there. I know you can't. And I should know all of my universities versus colleges, but I think it's college. She gave a speech that was really powerful about using failure to fuel you 
in your life, but also it was a rallying cry for feminism and women to sort of take over their own power. And so we want to dissect that graduation speech a bit, talk about some leadership themes that we've been discussing between the two of us lately, and also to talk more about the relationship between women and wolves, which um, is something both of us are eagerly exploring these days. Yes. Can I tell you my wolf story? Yes. You've been saving it for this episode, so I actually have not heard this yet. Yeah, I know. And it, and it's so much build up, so it probably isn't all that as great as you think of think it will be. But so we have been talking about leadership. And because of this, uh, the book by Clarissa Pinkola Estes, we've been talking a lot about women and the wolves and the connection and the similarities. And I've always loved wolves. And a few years ago, I did some work with shamanism and took a level one shamanism course. And we in part of that was to do our power animals. And I so desperately wanted it to be wolf or fox, like one of those kind of dog-like, canine-like animals, but really the wolf. Please be the wolf. Please be the wolf. And I think I've shared with you before, it was the sandhill crane. And I was like, what the hell is a sandhill crane? It's so beautiful. But, but now I know, and I it does make sense. It totally makes sense. But then the second animal was the weasel. <laughs> which I which, will never get over thinking that's the funniest thing which, in the whole world. Yeah, which is so far from a wolf, but I so so desperately wanted to be wolf and I am not. But nonetheless, I I love the comparison <laughs> from wolf and and talking about women, you know, as a wolf pack and supporting the wolf pack and all the things that that Abby mentions in her in her talk. It just it gets me riled up and so excited and I'm just like either crying or 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 shouting with my fists in the air. You know, it was a it was such a powerful speech. Yes, and we will dive into this in a moment, but now I have to share your story reminds me of my aptitude test that I took in high school prior to dropping out where I was told that I had the aptitude to become a beekeeper. And this was like, I was firmly convinced and had been since age 11 that I would become an environmental lawyer. And so when in 10th grade, I was told by the career counsel counselor that my aptitude was to be a beekeeper. I was like, infuriated, right? So I, I pushed through this career choice and ended up becoming an environmental lawyer. Only now I actually have the like realistic proposition of becoming a beekeeper. So oh, that's funny. I think, you know, sometimes we struggle against what we learn about ourselves. Like we don't want it to be true, but it actually maybe is true. <laughs> I was told to be a funeral director. Are you serious? That is the worst thing I've ever mm -hmm. heard. Mm -hmm. That's so mm -hmm. sad. How is that yeah. even how did how I how is there a test think, that gauges for that? Because I think that the funeral director association people were probably part of it. Trying to get more people into the aptitude test in Canada. Yeah. There you there you have it. Focus is all about right. how studies can be skewed. There's no explanation other than there's something terribly wrong in this situation. Oh my goodness. Uh, okay. Anyway. Well, on, right. on to the conversation. So I stumbled across, I had a few people send me links to this, this commencement speech. I have, like many people, I think I have an addiction to May and June because of the commencement speeches that start making their way around the interwebs. I love a good inspirational speech, especially if it's from someone I respect. And I was fascinated to see this Abby Wambach one being tossed around. I'm not a huge sports fan. And so I knew she was a soccer player. I knew that she got married to Glennon Doyle Melton. That's really all I knew about her. I figured she was a cool lady. But when I actually read the speech, I was crying. And then I ended up watching it. I showed it to you, Sandy, and we watched it 
over <laughs> video chat live together. And I was really mesmerized by what she was saying. And so we just kind of want to talk about it here. I mean, ideally, in an ideal world, we'd have Abby on the podcast, but we don't live in an ideal world, folks. And so next year, next year, perhaps we just want to this just happened. The speech just took place. It's uh, June of 2018 right now. And we're recording this. And we wanted to just talk about this beautiful story that Abby tells. And essentially, she talks about the story of Little Red Riding Hood and how little girls are taught to wear the red cape. And she kind of relates it to like a handmaid's cape and how to not be curious and to keep our eyes down and to stay focused and to stay quiet and how this is the story that young girls are are taught and what, what to do with their personality in their lives. And ultimately, the what happens in Abby's speech is that she says, you know, I'm here to tell you that, in fact, you're not the little girl in the cape. You're actually the wolf. And we're the wolves. And it was really powerful. I mean, she's giving this speech, graduation speech to a, to a group of people who are in a women's college, which I think is is probably the perfect audience to share this kind of message with. But I, it really resonated with me. And then she told the story of the reintroduction of wolves in Yellowstone, which I've heard before and studied a bit myself. And just this idea of how the ecosystem really came back into being and, and was thriving once the wolves were reintroduced. It didn't just impact the deer, the overpopulation of deer. Like It really affected everything from erosion to water quality. The reintroduction of wolves in the West has been this remarkable success in ecology and environmental stewardship. And so I think this idea of women having their power back and owning their power doesn't just support women and women's rights and women's satisfaction and women's pay. Like it actually makes the entire culture evolve as women are regaining this power that's been lost for so many generations and millennia. And she she outlines four main points, Sandy, sort of after you've taken in these stories and you've you've learned from these examples and fairy tales, she she gives us four main points. So I, I thought we could just go through and talk about those points. And there are some of these are things that you and I have been talking about wanting to have entire podcast episodes on lately. Before we dive into these rules, I just want to make one other point that really stood out to me in her sort of intro was that she was talking about women being grateful and that sometimes that can be a bit stifling. Now, this is my interpretation from what I remember of what she said, but she's talking about like how just we're always told to be grateful. And while that is a valuable practice, sometimes it sort of stops us. Like, we're, I'm happy with what I have now. I'm okay. I'm grateful for what is going on in my life right now. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. But I think there's a big like, and that needs to come after that for women. And that's like, and what's next or more of that. I'm grateful. Yes, but next, what now? What else can I do? And that really stuck out to me to not stifle ourselves to ask for more and be okay with that. And that's not a bad thing or a greedy thing or an egotistical thing. Yeah, I totally agree. I forgot about that part. But I it did really resonate with me as well. There have been times in my life where I was one of the only women in the room. And or young person in the room or you know fill in the blank in the room and you end up thinking like I'm just so lucky to be here I better keep quiet or they're going to realize I don't belong or I'm going to ruin the chance that there's even one woman at this table right and I think that that's that's a real fear to back up against and I I I, I don't know as I'm getting older though like that doesn't even cross my mind mm-hmm. I'm just so 
I just feel like I'm I'm coming into my own in such a way. And I think that happens as you evolve and mature and get older where you're like, I don't give a shit if I piss you off. This yeah. is going to be and that's, bleeped out. That's Abby's, that's Abby's uh, rule number four. Yeah. Yeah. Which we can get into. Yeah, we can go ahead and get into. But it's just this idea like, yes, thank you for giving me a seat. But here's how many more seats you should be giving out right now. Right? Yeah. It should never be. I'm just so grateful to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's more. Right. There's more than that. Especially if okay. you're if you're in that position of power and you actually have a voice where so many other people in your situation wouldn't. So yeah, it's a responsibility there. Okay, what is rule number one, Sandy? Make failure your fuel. And she is talking about she re- referenced how men fail up and women fail out. I think that was the phrase, and it was like. Yes. Like I think so many times, even on this podcast, we have talked about like seeing failure as part of the journey and don't, you know, don't stop, don't quit. Failure is just a a learning opportunity. We might even have a whole podcast on that. So I don't want to go over that one too much. But what stuck out to me is she said men fail up. Yeah. And she really says men are allowed and encouraged to fail up, right? Like if you think about the tech space, which, which, you know, we have one foot in the door there, Sandy, this is just a common thing of like founders, serial founders, like founding company after company and often <laughs> losing a lot of money for investors or ha- like causing a lot of problems. And they're just encouraged to keep founding companies. And women, I think, well, there, there's a whole other set of standards for women in technology or women entrepreneurs, but women are sort of like, you get this one chance, you're lucky you even have a chance and that's it. And your, your reputation is now tarnished for life. You're labeled. Like you're mm-hmm. labeled with the scarlet letter. And so I do think that this is really true in a lot of spaces. It's also true, I think, in academia. I've seen this happen. I've personally experienced this to some degree there too. And I, I think that embracing failure as a woman is a feminist act and saying like, yes, I made some mistakes and here I am again. And here I go. And here I go. more, please. More, please. You know, and I also, it reminds me, Sandy, of Catherine Hoke's book, A Second Chance. And I'll link in the the mentions. We want to have a whole episode on this as well. But I'll link to her TED Talk in the show notes where, you know, she works with formerly incarcerated or she works with incarcerated people to help them learn entrepreneurship. And her work through Defy Ventures is phenomenal. But she tells the story in this TED Talk about how this is actually her second chance. She had founded something previously in the state of Texas and had been pushed out of her her job and her work because of a sex scandal that she was involved in and how you know her initial reaction was to or s- to seep into deep depression and to feel like a failure and she spent a year sort of doing that and then she's like you know what I'm not going to let I'm not going to be defined by my biggest mistake and I think mm-hmm. a lot of women allow themselves do sure. to be defined by our biggest mistakes and I know I do like if I say something to someone or I'm in a meeting and I say something that I know maybe I shouldn't have said or I should have filtered out a little bit, like I punish myself to the nth degree. Like I don't sleep. I lay awake thinking about how I should have said something differently. And the truth is, is we're human. And the more we're interacting with the world around us, the more likely we are, whether in business or life, to make mistakes. And failure is going to happen. Like you're going to make really big mistakes if you're putting yourself out there. And so lesson number one, this idea that you fail up, like, yeah, okay, so fail, iterate, make it better, apologize, make amends, do what you need to do, and then move on and and do it better the next time. So I talked about Jordan Peterson at the beginning of this episode, and the rule that I want to discuss is related to this. It's uh, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the idea, right? Yeah. Like that you just, you're just going to look at all those successes out there 
and compare yourself to that in not knowing how many mistakes they made in the past. But if you start to look back at where where you've come from, that's what you need to be to be celebrating. Absolutely. Okay. Rule number two. I love this one. It's lead from the bench. Oh, okay. So I really wanted to have an entire podcast on this, this week one. on leadership mm-hmm. because I'm experiencing some gaps in leadership in my community right now. I've been part of some political processes that have not been... <laughs> In my mind, there's not been a tremendous amount of positive leadership taking place in some situations that I've been, I'm involved in. And I really believe in this concept of leading from the bench and that you're, you're a leader. If you're, le- that leadership is actually a way of living. It's a way of life and it's not something you put on for a particular role. So if you take on a leadership role, whether it's through elected office or, founding a company or what have you, if you take that on, then you are a leader in every part of your life. And you need to own that because leadership doesn't know nine to five. It doesn't know certain hours or certain committees. And really, when I listened to Abby's speech and read her speech, this was resonating with me so much because she talked about how after a decade of you know winning all these championships, she was essentially benched um, her last year as a professional soccer player and how she really took, even though she was initially disappointed, she really took that opportunity to support her teammates from the bench and how so many of them credited their success that year to her leadership cheering them on and supporting them from her role on the bench. And I really believe in this. Like I think regardless of where you are in your business, in your life, in your career, in your family journey, you have this opportunity to show leadership in how you show up at the grocery store and how you interact with your neighbors and every single thing you do in your life, every email you respond to, you have an opportunity to be a leader. Right. And I think that speaks to something that I've always thought that you do not, we are all leaders. It's not like you become a leader or learn to be a leader. I mean, you can be a better leader, but I think within us, we are all leaders all the time. And even though we are not the CEO or the the prime minister of our country or president of our country, we have an opportunity to lead in every step of our day. And it's not a matter of sitting back and waiting for someone else to do the right thing. It is up to us right here, right now to make those decisions. And, th- and they may be the tiniest things, right? Like supporting someone on social media or giving them a shout out, or like you say, seeking public office in a bigger, more visible role. But I think if we start as women and are in the wolf pack to start thinking about where can we lead you know, it's incredibly exciting and powerful. And I would really love to see some mindset shifts for all of us to think, yeah, I am a leader. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy to use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. Well, I definitely think more people need to embrace it. I mean, I come at this from the perspective 
of I've had times in my life where I really took on leadership. I took on positions, like whether they're volunteer board member positions or paid positions or whatever. I took on positions that required a tremendous amount of leadership. And and there's also times in my life, like when I had my first had my baby, where I sort of ducked away from society. <laughs> you know, and I like wanted to go into a little cave and not really interact so much with the with the bigger world. Like I sort of left a very public body of work with climate change and had a, a child and sort of needed some personal walls for a while. And and my experience has been that when I have taken the challenge of leadership on and I've taken on these different roles, whether it's in, like I said, in my career or in some other area of my life, then I have an obligation to really own that role and everything I do. And there's other times where I've been like, you know what? I don't want to have to be a public figure. I don't want to have to be the public face of anything. I just want to quietly go about my life and let someone else, let a collection of other people sort of make the decisions. But in that, but once I start to speak up and once I start to ha- to voice an opinion or have a disagreement, then I am actively taking steps as a leader and I have to follow through and I have to own it. And so I think we maybe have different takes on this, but but I, I, I mean, I think, yeah, somewhere inside of us, we all can do this. I was the most painfully shy child you could ever imagine. Like people didn't even think I spoke out loud until I was probably nine years old. There were so few times I ever spoke like <laughs> in front of anyone other than my family. And I knew I wanted to have a successful life and career. And I knew I wanted to do something important in the world with my life. And I intentionally ran for office in my school and in my community. Like I was the te- on the teen council in my city council. Like I, it was the, I was like, it was probably harder for me than it would have been for any other person I knew to do that because I was so painfully shy, but I knew that I needed to do that to have the life I wanted. And so I guess it's just to say that if you take it on, then own it. That's how I feel. Like you have the power to do it and own it in every area of your life. And that means making eye contact with people. It means showing up when you're supposed to be there. And it means respecting people and really owning your authority. Yeah, but I think there's a different way to lead to. Like you're talking about leading a group or yeah, yeah, like that. And I think, and I'm talking about, you know, you could step away and be the leader of your family or within yeah, in sure. your family dynamics, you've got to step up and be the leader. Or when you are at a coffee shop and you hear something that's inappropriate, you step up and you say something. I think those are all small acts of, yeah. of leadership. And I think that that sort of message that we are the leader and lead from the bench, you do not have to be chosen or yeah, that's you know, right. have, that's a, right. have a president behind your name or anything like you. There's multiple times in our day where we can be the leader, especially if you say wolf pack. <laughs> when she calls us out and says, hey, Wolfpack, yeah. lead from the bench. I'm like, okay, looking around yeah. my world right now, what can I do to make a difference in somebody's life and show, you know, sh- show that I am a leader in whatever little tiny act it may be? Yeah, I think that's right, Sandy. I think that's right. I, I just think... There are times where it's okay to to be, live a quiet life too. And, oh, and sure. I, think, I don't think it's constant, yeah. right? No, because you can't. I, I know it's, what you're it's saying. Emotionally exhausting. Yeah, yeah. So, no. But I do think, like, when you have a role, especially if it's a public role, because again, this is you and I thinking differently about the world. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> imagine, like, I live in a world where that happens a lot. Like, there's a, and you also do. There's very public roles that we take on, and I think that they come with great responsibility. And just even if you're in the grocery store with your family, if you have a leadership role. You can't avoid a situation. That's all. We're not going to get into it any more than that. Okay. Rule number three is champion each other. 
Okay, so I, can I start this sure. section with a Madeleine Albright quote? And I'm going to paraphrase it because this is a quote that she's given so many times and she always says it a little differently. But Madeleine Albright is known for having said there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. And she, as many of you know, um, she was an ambassador for the to the United States, to the U.N., and she was also our Secretary of State, among other things. And Madeleine Albright is one of my heroes in the world and in life. And I really, I, th- I think, I just want to read a small section that she published in an op-ed in the New York Times in 2016. And she said, women have an obligation to help one another. In a society where women often feel pressured to tear one another down, our saving grace lies in our willingness to lift one another up. And while young women may not want to hear anything more from this aging feminist, I feel it is important to speak to women coming of age at a time when a viable female president candidate presidential candidate once inconceivable as a reality. So this is this is an article she wrote during Hillary Clinton's run for president. But she says, I have been out of public office for a decade and a half. I have devoted much of my life since to teaching, writing, and helping to make sure younger women face fewer obstacles than my generation did. But I am constantly struck that despite all that has changed, I am still asked the same questions. How do you maintain work-life balance? What can I do to succeed in a male profession? What advice should I give my daughter? When I answer these questions, I inevitably reflect upon the difficulties my generation faced. And then she says, I do not have a magic formula for how every woman should live her life, but I do know that we need to give one another a hand. And I just, I think coming from someone who really <laughs> is, mm-hmm. has exemplified leadership and, and was often the first woman to X, the first woman to Y, I think what she says speaks volume. We have this quote of hers about the special place in hell on our Pinterest board for brave women. Mm-hmm. And I I think that there is this sense, um, and I've experienced this, you know, we've talked about this as well. I've experienced um, when I was rising in my career in the environmental movement, I was, I, ha- I like was constantly looking to men as my mentors because so often the women I, the few women <laughs> at the top that I, I was encountering were not kind. I will say they were they were like explicitly unkind to me. And I'm still I still sting from some of the comments that were made to me and I I think it affected the direction of my career and my life. Were the women around you supporting you? To be honest, like, there's not a lot of women. <laughs> there are not a lot of women in in positions of leadership. So he, so in the environmental movement and in law and in so many fields that I've been a part in in my work environments, there's there have been a lot of women in sort of low to mid level positions. So a lot of admins, a lot of like junior associate, like there's a lot of junior mid kind mm-hmm. of admin level women. And then once you start to rise up in power, the women are not there. And I think that's how it is in so many professions. And so when as a young woman who was really aggressive and ambitious, as I was rising up in my career, really young, I was also really young to have some of the positions I had in politics, I would look to women for female guidance. And I was often just really disappointed and often mm-hmm. with men, I had the polar opposite reaction oh, where I was like taken in and welcomed mm-hmm. and treated like a daughter and enveloped and mentored mm-hmm. by so many men. I'll just say I had one boss who was also not that much older than me, maybe like five, maybe seven years older than me. So also a very young at the time rising star. 
And oh, I, this has happened a few times, but this one thing that's, that I will never forget is I made a mistake or I, I, something I was doing wasn't working to the extent that we had hoped it would. And it was on a presidential campaign. And my boss said, you know, I brought you on because you're supposed to be a genius. <laughs> Where's, where is it? Wow. With one mistake. And it wasn't even a mistake. It was just, it wasn't even, like, I don't even, it wasn't even up to me. But like something that we were doing collectively as a team wasn't working the way we had hoped it would work. Like I didn't actually make a mistake. And I made lots of mistakes, but this wasn't something that I made a mistake at, right? Like just some strategy we were trying on didn't work as as well as we had hoped. And so I was like, I mean, to hear that when you're, what is mm-hmm. it, 23 years old is crushing, Right. And I will never forget like the the physical feeling in my body from having someone I revered and looked up to and I had moved across the country to work for say that to me. And if you had had a wolf pack around you, that could have changed everything. Yeah, I hope I hope so. Or if I had if if like if, if women really supported one another and as we're rising up in our careers, right, and in our lives, like that that was not my experience time and time again. And so and so, you know, this maybe this will spark a public conversation in our community about this because I am sure I'm not the only woman who's been spoken to like this. Because mm-hmm. I would say I was going to say that. So what Abby's message with this rule is that we need to to adopt an abundance mindset, meaning that there is enough success and money and power and everything for for all of us to go around because one woman succeeds does not mean that you will succeed less. Like there's, we can all succeed and to kind of bolster each other and to just call out each other's wins and celebrate with each other. And that has been my, like, you know, there's often this, this um, message that women are really catty and mean to each other. And I think it's really fueled by movies and TV. I haven't seen it personally. Like I've only been surrounded by the most amazing women in my old pedorthic career, in my clinical career. I've only experienced really a, a lot of positivity. I was also the president and the chair of all the governing bodies here in Canada. And it was it was nothing but positive. So I haven't had the same. And I would say that like there's this sort of rumor that women are so mean to each other and I just don't see it. I think it's the opposite, in fact. But oh, man, I, it I've may be industry. It. I've seen it. I've had some, I had some really mean professors in law school. Like I've seen it. I've I've seen it. And I know some of the things that have been said to me would never have been said to a man. I just know it because men don't talk to women like that, even younger, or women don't talk to men like that, even younger men. I, I mean, I'm generalizing. I'll just say I've personally been stung by this. And I've seen other women that I know get pushed around by women who are supposedly mentors to them. Yeah, I think there's a cattiness there. I think there's a sense of insecurity, especially if if an older woman is mentoring a younger woman. There's all kinds of weird stuff that happens in that dynamic, can happen in that dynamic. And I do think that we have to stick together. Like when if we're trying to create social change, social movements are built on people banding together. Like a single person or a small group of disparate people can't really do much. But when you're trying to achieve say like gender pay equality or any of the other things that any of you listening to this agree to and and want to support like it comes because we're actively banding together and that doesn't happen when you when there's infighting and cattiness and there's so many organizations I've walked away from or movements I've walked away from because of that internal struggle where like people interpersonally cannot get it together and so then the movement is doomed to failure and I don't have time for that mhm agreed So our message is there's lots for everyone and let's just 
consciously go out and support each other. Absolutely. Okay, number four. This is one of my other favorite ones. Demand the ball. What does that mean to you, Jenny? It means someone is not going to come over and offer you everything you want on a silver platter and you need to go and take it. Whether or not you think you have some fear about whether or not you're entitled to it or not doesn't matter. If you want it, you have to go and take it and do what it takes to take it. And I think, you know, in Abby's analogy, this is the soccer ball. But in my analogy, it's just like everything in business and life. Yeah. This is the one that comes with age. I think that you were referencing. It's like, you know what? It's my time. Give me the mic. Give me the job. Give me the pay raise. Give me the spotlight. Give me the audience. Give me the whatever. I like just there's so many things. It's like, it is my time. Mm -hmm. Give me the damn mic. That's right. Right? That's why we're here, right? Because we live in a world where gatekeepers cannot stop us from having our own radio show. So we made a podcast. We didn't have to pitch it to anybody. We didn't have to wait for someone's approval. We just created it and put it out there and are slowly developing an audience. And it's really quite miraculous that there was no, as you say, gatekeepers at all. We decided to do something bought our mics and did it. And it's it's really, really liberating. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and I think it goes for like anything else we've done too. You know, like just even applying to be in a tech accelerator and getting in when so many people don't get into those kinds of programs, especially women where there's been years and years where there are no female founded teams in accelerators. In fact, in the year, in the year that we went through our accelerator in Seattle, <laughs> I think Techstars had no female-founded teams, and then our accelerator had two, and and hadn't had any, and they didn't have any in the next the next class, right? And I think like this is part of it. Like, no, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be here. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to answer all your questions, and I'm going to rebut the things that you say back to me that I don't agree with, and I'm going to keep showing up and keep knocking on doors. And I think there's this sense that you can't scare me away. And not that anyone was trying to scare us away, but I think our culture scares us away as women. Like, and and just, you know, seeing the women who, like the kick-ass women that I've come of age with and gone to school with and grown up with and seeing some of the work that these women are doing um, and what they've had to achieve and accomplish to get the results that they're seeing as, is just mind-blowing to me. And it's because they, whenever anyone says no, they said, okay, I'm going to go do it right over here then. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like you just don't ever accept no. Like you just go and you take what you want and you, you work with somebody else or you ask somebody else or you demand it or you do whatever you need to do to achieve your goals. That's right. Demand the ball. I love it. Okay. Let's move into joy and hustle. Okay. Joy. Well, it's hard to decide between the joy and the hustle because they're both kind of both, which we had referenced. But the joy for this week will be the commencement speech by Abby Wambach. You should watch it. We will link must, to- Must, must, must watch yeah, it. Yeah. Barnard College has the entire video up right now on their website. So you can watch the full 25-minute speech and we will link to it as the joy. And the hustle is a Medium article called 13 Reasons Why You Should Read Women Who Run With the Wolves Instead. So the- book that we, I think we talked about it on one of the the Audible ads. It's it's a heavy book, but it's so good. And this Medium article kind of summarizes the 13 lessons. And so even reading this will get you fired up, I promise. So it's a just a summary of the lessons. And I just, I love the images. I love the words. I love the message. It's just fabulous. So we'll link that to that in the show notes as well. Yes. And we will see you on Monday for a full episode. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.
Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business but don't know where to start, to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.